Thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, and I'm really excited uh, today to let you all know that we have a new co-host, uh, Carla Jo Helms of Joto PR, that will be joining us on this episode and, uh, and future episodes. Uh, welcome to the show, Carla. Hello. Today, we'll be talking about marketing difficult-to-market products, typically either products that are commodities or just aren't very sexy, so they don't have a easy angles kind of for, for campaigns. And uh, joining us to discuss this is Mark Rappin. Mark is a member of the executive leadership team at the uh, Advertising Research Foundation. That's a non-profit uh, industry organization that's dedicated to advancing the science of marketing and advertising for its members and the industry in general. He's been at the uh, ARF, as they call themselves, Advertising Research Foundation, for five years. Prior to the Advertising Research Foundation, I have a hard time saying ARF, sorry. <laughs> Mark's career spans 30-plus uh, years in account management and business generation roles at creative agencies within WPP, Interpublic, and Omnicon or Omnicon Networks. Mark, uh, we're excited to have you on today. I hope I got everything pronounced out there, uh, out there properly. Uh, more or less, Guy, thanks very much for happen- having us. Although, uh, while a lot of people do call it ARF, uh, we, we, like to, we like to use the ARF um, just so that we don't get too many giggles um, from it. Yeah, that's a great idea, ARF. <laughs> I'm kicking myself for not having thought of that first. Um, <laughs> we are in an acronym society. No, no question about it. Well, the other problem is that our, our website, you need the the. So it's the ARF.org, because if you go to ARF.org, you actually do get a veterinarian website because of ARF. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that just adds to the uh, to the joke kind yes. of. And then I would want to say T-H-E-A-R-F because I have a hard time mixing words and acronyms. Yes. <laughs> so the ARF. Um, excellent. So uh, I guess before we get into uh, everything, the subject matter today, social media marketing for legacy products. Um, I'd like to know, can you explain uh, the ARF a little bit and, and what you guys do over there? Sure. So the ARF is, a, a, as you mentioned, a not-for-profit industry organization. Um, we're really focused on um, advancing the science uh, of the industry, uh, both in advertising and marketing. Uh, we're a membership organization. We have about 400 members. Um, and the main thing that makes the ARF unique from other industry organizations is that we cut across all the different constituencies. And so we have marketers, we have agencies, we have research companies, we have media companies uh, all coming together to, um, to sort of advance the industry and talk about the key topics. Excellent. So and I think on your site, I've, I've had a look at it and uh, you guys have a lot of information, generally studies, um, a, lot of, a lot of recordings. Uh, webinars, events, that kind of stuff uh, for people. Very much so. So we are primarily a content first organization and um, uh, you could get content in a number of different ways. If you, as, a, as, I, as I mentioned the website earlier, you could go to theearf.org, uh, which is theearf.org. And there's a number of different articles and uh, features on the website. Um, we have uh, webcasts pretty much every week on Wednesdays, Wednesday webcasts at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and then we have another number of uh, key events um, over the course of the year um, that you can uh, participate. Some of them are members only, uh, some are non-members only. And then the other unique feature of the ARF, um, just keeping an eye toward the future, is that we have the largest uh, young professionals organization 
um, in the industry where we look at uh, folks that are either under 30 or less than five years in the business. And we do special programming and training uh, primarily to sort of build the next generation of marketers and advertisers. That's fantastic. And then what's your what's your role over there? Kind of, uh, I guess uh, you're the CMO, correct? Right. So I'm the chief marketing officer um, and um, and I have um, some uh, chief revenue and partnership responsibilities. Um, so I oversee um, the ARF's communications in terms of uh, driving um, attendance to the events and traffic to the website. Um, I'm also involved with uh, programming some of the events, the events team and the distribution of content uh, reports to me. Um, and then that um, one of the ways that we do um, help keep the lights on is a little bit of sponsorship and partnership. And so I manage the uh, partnership relationships um, with with our members, although there's a there's a coworker of mine who actually manages uh, the member support. Great. Important to keep those lights on. Yep. Uh, oh, oh, and, and particularly the wine and cheese at the end of a long day of speeches and panels. It, I guess if you don't have lights, as long as you have wine and cheese, you'll be fine too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so let's, let's jump right into it. Um, the topic today, social media marketing for growth in, I think we're going to focus on uh, CPG legacy products specifically. Um, yes. I mean, you brought this topic to us and I was pretty fascinated with it. We haven't really spoke to this previously. We've, we spoke about social media marketing quite a bit, but uh, this is kind of a different angle on it. Um, so you want to jump right in and tell us, uh, kind of uh, frame the subject here for everybody? Yeah, let me, let, me, um, let me set the stage a little bit with, with, with some things now. So first of all, um, what you would call the... Um, uh, you, you know, which used to drive the whole industry, the, the consumer packaged good products um, that we all um, kind of grew up on and, and marketing and advertising uh, was really established. Um, they're not seeing the kind of growth um, that other industries um, and other things are seeing. Um, and as a matter of fact, um, you know, uh, packaged foods and, and meats in, in some degrees with the world going organic and fresh and all that sort of stuff are getting harder and harder to um, build a constituency for. Um, and, and importantly for these companies, um, you know, they're not, Wall Street are no longer big fans of them. So um, over the last 12 months, um, you know, while the market has been going very well, some of these big manufacturers um, like Kellogg's, General Mills, Camel Soup um, are are hitting 52-week lows, um, and so um, growth, finding new ways to grow, um, is important to these. So that's that's you know that's the first setup point. And then the second setup point is the way consumers are changing and uh, grocery store. Shopping is changing. So if you think about it and if you look at some of the facts, about 95 or 96, 97 percent of all groceries are still bought the traditional way through grocery stores by people, by people going in. Um, so while there is uh, click and collect and there is Amazon and there, there are a lot of direct to consumer things, most people are still buying things in the grocery store. Uh, but they're spending much more of their time around the perimeter of the grocery store 
um, buying fresh items and not going up and down the aisles as much. And so again, if you're a traditional packaged foods, foods manufacturer, it gets difficult to um, um, you know, sell your product if people aren't going down the aisle to, to purchase them. Um, and so, um, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, we're looking at and hold on, you can't hold on the, one second there, Mark. Can you hear the siren? I think, uh, I think, yeah, I think the SWAT team's coming for you at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you said that they, they needed new ways to grow. So there you go. <laughs> And there you go. So, um, yeah, well, welcome to New York City. So, <laughs> uh, Were you done? I had a couple questions for you that our, that our listeners might have. You mentioned that Wall Street wasn't, didn't have a favorable opinion of um, some of these products or legacy like companies or products now. Can you elaborate on that a little bit and tell us what's happening? Yeah, well, um, um, again, you know, um, overall, I mean, to just give you some facts, the S&P 500 has increased uh, 14% over the last 12 months. Um, if you look at um, if you look at the major um, manufacturers that are um, primarily consumer packaged goods businesses, so again, the Kellogg's, General Mills, Campbell Soups of the world, um, collectively, they're down 11%. So um, and again, you know, they're not, you know, Wall Street is looking at the growth potential. Obviously, they're seeing more potential in a Google or an Amazon um, than they're seeing in canned soup. Right. So are these entrenched, these are kind of entrenched businesses. They've been around a long time. I mean, they have this naturally reoccurring product. Um, but is this basically a case of their style of marketing, you know, buying ad space on uh, you know, Lone Ranger radio shows to sell soap is no longer sexy. Right. Well, the third leg of the stool that I, that I was going to mention, and 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 um, um, Carla, maybe this is where you were heading as well. Is you know, as you look at the new ways that brands are communicating, um, you know, through social media, through interaction, through those types of things. It's a little bit harder to, you know, have a brand relationship um, with a can of soup or a paper towel um, than it necessarily is to have with uh, your athletic sneaker or or your um, or your automotive, because there's there's just less emotional engagement um, that's inherent um, in some of these things than than not. And so. You know, that's where right. um, the challenge as, um, as as social media starts to overtake television as the main form of communication. How do these legacy brands that don't really have emotional connections to consumers because they're more functional items, how do they stand out and how do they take advantage of, of what's happening? Right. So is this why we're seeing so many more commercials and stuff now that are somehow trying to attribute a, a feeling to a can of soup, you know, it's, it's, it's an inanimate object. It's just something you're going to eat, but there is a lot more like, Hey, if you're a happy, cool family, then, then you're eating this. It seems like rather than talking about the contents of the product. Right. Right. And so, I mean, that is, how do I get that interaction? Because I'm, um, and so, again, going back to the research in the ARF, um, if you look at social media, um, the social media metric 
um, that um, is most closely tied to attribution to sales um, is not just um, is not just um, awareness and impressions. Um, it's it's actually shares and interaction, and so it's engagement, right? You have them engaging and interacting, right? And so how do you, how do you get that engagement? And 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 again, um, you know, my wife and I just bought a new automobile because our, our lease was up, and you know, the first thing that that uh, we got. Uh, from the new car company, uh, I won't mention brand names, was, hey, you know, there's a whole community of people that own the same vehicle that you do. And do you want to be part of that community? Um, we weren't interested in, in it, but you could see being in a community of a bunch of like car owners, particularly if you had a really cool car that you were passionate about it. Um, if you got an email saying, Hey, we noticed you just bought um, a new brand of toilet paper. Um, do you want to be in a community with all the people that use the same brand of toilet paper you use? A little less exciting. Right. I think uh, that's a that's a strange one. I I've seen this in our own company here. People want to create communities directly around their product, and it it seems like I don't know. It, it seems like a like a mistake almost to say you know, people to have your same brand of car. Cause I got that when I got my last lease also, and I really don't care to join the community of people owning, you know, this, this basic vehicle. Right. I think it fits on the type of product too, which I'm very interested to see if the ARF has, you know, research on that because Jeep, I was just at New Smyrna beach a couple of weekends ago, and there were about 15 Jeep owners that were part of the New Smyrna Jeep community. And they were there on the beach parked, you know, doing their tailgating. And this is a huge thing nationally. I mean, Jeep's done really well with that. I'm not sure every car or every product or service, like you mentioned, toilet paper, would, right. Would <laughs> I'm a Charmin fit, guy. You know, <laughs> I need to hang out with other Charmin guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, I think I think with the example that you raised, that that's the key that unlocks it. So, um, and I think both of you are making very good points from an engagement standpoint. And so, I think the mistake that that products make is thinking that people want to engage with the product as opposed to some sort of emotional or community connection um, that's that's relevant and directly related to the product. So with the, sorry, there's a, another fire truck going by. But We're live. Is there, there's there no end to crime and fires in New York City? No, not, <laughs> not, none at all. Um, but um, but when you if you think about that Jeep example that you just gave, right, it's, it, it probably wasn't, the reason they got together wasn't the connection wasn't that they all owned Jeep vehicles. The connection was that they all had a passion for tailgating and enjoying experiences outdoors and uh, being part of an outdoor community. Uh, exactly. I mean, I have many friends that have Jeeps and they part of this community, but they do crazy stuff with their Jeeps and go on trips. And, you know, you're able to travel in places that my car can't travel. And this is really the Jeep experience. So I think you're right. The engagement so you enable, has to be with the experience, right? Exactly. Yeah. You enable a community for the type of person that that's interested in your product. For instance, my company, Mountaintop Data, 
we provide data for marketing. We, we can't build a community around marketing data people because nobody really cares about that when they're not at work. You know, very few people are as excited as we are about, about that. So instead, we create a podcast on B2B marketing. You know, we, we create things around the type of people who are using our services. You know, we create uh, B2B marketing communities or join B2B marketing communities. So I guess with these legacy brands, they, they really need to make experiences for the type of person that's going to be purchasing their product. You know, I guess when you talk about toilet paper, who's, you know, don't, don't do a, experiences around or sponsor events or whatever it is for, for children. There's a specific age group that's typically buying the toilet paper in a house. Yeah. Let me give you a real world example that, that, you know, um, that has been, you know, a case study that's been out on, on stages at some marketing communities and, and in the RF and that's crap macaroni and cheese. So again, if you think about Kraft macaroni and cheese, um, you know, it's, it's a nice product. Um, it has some issues um, in, in, in the world of people wanting to serve their kids uh, fresh, um, non-processed foods um, and some challenges. And uh, a little while ago, um, uh, a, an author named Melissa Moore came out with a book um, that was called The Brief History of Swearing. Um, and uh, Kraft Foods uh, uh, connected with that and, and did some research to find out about how many parents actually swore in front of their kids on occasion. You got everybody's attention with that title. Yeah. Yes, the brief history of swearing. Parents right. and kids both are. <laughs> right. Well, and as you quickly. can imagine, right, um, as a matter of fact, they, they did a little video on it. And, and I really like the way uh, Melissa Moore started the video. She said that according to Kraft, research, you know, 78% of parents admit to sometimes swearing in front of their kids and the other 20% are friggin' lying. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's yeah. a great engagement, uh, but that's a really great engagement because it's, right. uh, you know, and, and so, so what is the rest of the campaign? Because I actually haven't seen that. So is it, how do they relate it back to Kraft macaroni and cheese? Are the parents being conciliatory and giving them Kraft macaroni and cheese after they cuss in front of them, or they just find another creative way to connect them? Well, well, again, if you think about it, right, if you think about swearing in front of your kids um, and the relevancy connection, right, it's, 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 we all admit that it happens at some point, um, it, it's not socially endorsed as, as perfect parenting behavior. Uh, but you know, in moderation, it's not going to do any harm if you essentially let a word fly here or there. Well, think about Kraft macaroni and cheese, right? Um, something kids love, probably not the healthiest food in the entire world, but very affordable, very easy to make and kids love it. And so if you served it to your kids on an occasional basis, you know, I, I don't know that I don't know that you'd be written up in Parenting Magazine for being the perfect parent because you gave your kid Kraft macaroni and cheese for dinner. Uh, but if you do it on occasion, there's certainly nothing wrong with it. And it's actually, you know, it's it's convenience and it's in a, inexpensiveness and it's ease of preparation um, have a whole lot of advantages. And so there's an emotional connection, if you will, between this between Kraft macaroni and cheese and and swearing in front of kids that has a little bit of humor and um, and and can be relevant, right? So, 
So for companies having a difficult time making a connection with their audience, um, I guess the takeaway here is create um, create a community that your audience is interested in, and then finding the linkage to your product is important, but don't try to link your product directly to the audience. Right. Well, I think the key is, and it goes back to basic marketing, it has to, in order for it to work, to your point, you don't want to make it, it's not a direct link to the product, uh, but you have to tap into a consumer truth um, that has a lot of sort of emotional relevancy to your target audience to begin with. I think that is key. A, a, a consumer truth that has a lot of relevancy and is emotional. I, you know what made me think of that as soon as you said that? You remember the, um, the challenge? I don't, Miracle Whip did it. It was Miracle Whip versus mayonnaise. And uh-huh. it took off and it got a lot of YouTube uh, videos being created by consumers who would do a challenge. They would try Miracle Whip versus mayonnaise, right? right? Um and that really sparked a lot of stuff because you have real loyalty on either side. Um, those that loved Miracle Whip made a case for Miracle Whip. I mean, that's that's a really good example of emotional engagement, right? Exactly. And then to your second point, there has to be some product relevance. So it can't just be something that's completely unrelated to the product altogether. And then, right. and then the third piece of it, and again, this is just basic marketing just apply to, to the social media, you need some sort of some sort of creative execution that's going to stand out, some sort of way to communicate this in an unexpected way that's going to get people that want to uh, talk about it and, and share it with other people. So again, um, just quickly going back to the Kraft Macaroni and Cheese, you know, the fact that they did this little video about this author talking about swearing in front of their kids, it was a very funny, humorous video uh, with a lot of bleeps. And every time there was a bleep, there was a little Kraft macaroni and cheese noodle that was put up in front of her mouth. And it was it was fun <laughs> and entertaining and people wanted to share it. And, um, you know, according to the information that, um, you know, was shared with us in the case study, um, you know, the, the, the video itself got almost four and a half million views, you know, 70 million impressions. And, you know, people were sharing it with each other and they had the good sense to give it some relevant timing. Uh, They released this on Mother's Day. So to connect with the subject matter here, I'm seeing, well, one, back to the the, the craft. I want to address that real quick. One of the things that I, I really like about what they did there, it seems like is, like you said, they're not trying to directly connect the product to the people. They're, they're putting around parents swearing, but it makes me think they, they're almost going to own parents swearing because if. If you've seen this, and then every time as a parent, I'm a parent, and I'm, I haven't even seen it, and I'm, it's probably going to happen to me now. Anytime I swear in front of my kid, in my right. mind, I'm going to be thinking Kraft, Kraft macaroni and cheese. I mean, it's the perfect it, positioning when right. you say it like that. Right, and you know I'm going to be saying, holy Kraft. Uh, <laughs> you know that's going to stick in people's minds, and anytime you can own something in somebody's mind where when they think about it, they think of you. You know, I think of the Twix back in the day. Uh, aligning, I think it was Twix um, aligning themselves with uh, or Kit Kat and coffee, to where every time people thought about coffee, they're thinking about Kit Kat because of the, these campaigns they ran. And it's a human nature thing. You're just overriding the brain into well, now you've inserted that in their brain every time they think about this thing that they're constantly thinking about. I love that aspect of it and that it's it's only tangentially related in that they're swearing in front of their kids and their kids also eat and this is something their kids can eat. Um, but to bring this around to the main subject, the general, so I think what we're looking at here is 
products that have a difficult time connecting with their audience somehow, probably because they're not sexy products like data, like, you know, macaroni and cheese. There there aren't really specs that you can point at. It's a semi-commodity or even a commodity and say, hey, we're better because of this. Here's why you should choose us versus something else. You want to make that emotional connection. You really need to kind of find, build a community around something other than your product directly. And then from there, that's where I want to make the jump. Well, we're going to take a break in just a second. But after the break, I want to make the jump to social media and why that's so important and kind of how this, we've been talking a lot about kind of consumer type products because this lends itself to that, but also B2B products. That's the, you know, that's the the nature of our podcast here is on B2B marketing. Um, So any B2B marketing product or any B2B product that has a difficult time connecting to the audience, doesn't have, uh, you know, obvious differentiators, um, that, that you can market on. So, so you really need to, to create a community uh, in, order to, in order to market the product. Seems like it needs this sort of approach. So after the break, let's, um, let's dig into the social media side and how that's being done, not being done, and, and, and what companies need to do, do there. Mark, anything else you want to add in before we go to the break? No, no. All right, sounds good. We'll be back in just a minute with uh, Mark Rappin of uh, VARF and uh, Carla Joe Helms. Hi, it's Bill Cates. I'm president of Referral Coach International. And the shortest line to relevance to getting someone's attention is a recommendation from someone else they already trust. We help you multiply your best clients and reach those hard-to-reach clients. So reach out to us at referralcoach.com forward slash resources. Referralcoach.com forward slash resources. Let's start a conversation. See if I can help. Hi, this is Daniel Voss from GoToWebinar. I'm the chief webinar wrangler here at GoToWebinar, where we're the largest webinar platform in the world with more than 50,000 customers and 60 million people attending webinars on the platform every year. If you want to come check out GoToWebinar, go to gotowebinar.com and take out one of our free trials and give the product a spin. Hi, this is Sky Cassidy with the If You Market podcast. I've got Carla Joe Helms with me and Mark Rappin of the ARF. I got it right this time after a little practice. Mark, back from the break. Um, want to jump right back in here and talk about the social media, how it's how it's used with these, this type of marketing? Yeah, no, um, terrific question. So let's talk a little bit about research and metrics with social media, right? So um, for the kinds of things that we're talking about, I mean, the, 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 the immediate metrics you're going to get are impressions, clicks, click-throughs, um, but you end up with a lot of retargeting. You end up with a lot of, a, a lot of things that may or may not um, drive to attribution, drive to lead generation in the B2B world, or drive to sales in the consumer world. Um, but you know what the, the metric that does seem to um, have the most relevance to outcomes is sharing. So if you can get content in your social media that other people are gonna wanna share with each other, um, that ends up being the, um, the um, metric um, that is most predictive of a successful uh, social media effort. Right. So any any sort of 
you gave the example of a commercial, but it could be anything, maybe even a podcast or webinar, all that kind of stuff. Any, any content like that, just so you can interact with people as, as Carla Joe had said. Or even taking advantage of an event. We talked before the break about Kraft macaroni and cheese, but let me, um, if you remember, let me give you another example. And again, this is a consumer example, uh, but I don't know if you remember back to the Super Bowl in 2017, uh, but P&G tied laundry detergent um, did quite an amazing stunt um, that got a whole- I freak out when I hear about Sorry to cut you off. I love that. That was an amazing, again, I'm sure you'll echo me, but this is going to be taught in advertising classes in the future. They just owned the Super Bowl. And I'm sure there was another- Well, they own the Olympics too, right? There was another laundry detergent during the Super Bowl. And I wanted to be in their office while they were watching it to watch them just start punching themselves in the face right. over what happened to them. Uh, so I'm sorry, you go right, ahead, but what, I, I had to jump in. about here with this example for people that don't remember it, um, what uh, P&G's tie did was they actually staged um, what would be the pregame um, interview uh, with Terry Bradshaw. Um, and, and, and I mean, there isn't really a whole lot of relevance between laundry detergent and professional football, but, but what they did was they staged a stain on Terry Bradshaw's shirt as he was about to do his on-air interview. And again, as we talk about emotional connection, you're talking about a fear that we all have. I'm going to a big interview. I'm going on a date. I'm going somewhere. And oh, my God, I spilled coffee on my shirt on the way to the interview. How embarrassing. I mean, this is something this is an emotional fear that we can all relate to. And 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 for again, for those of you who aren't aware of it, um, what PNG did is that they bought they they created a they created a, a an ad that they bought that that had Terry Bradshaw with the stain on his shirt, and then he had to run and try to find a new shirt. And they had two or three commercials um, over the course of the game uh, that told this story. And from a social media standpoint, um, they put up you know hashtag Bradshaw stain and. Uh, a good part of the live audience didn't necessarily realize that it was it was an advertiser stunt um, because how closely are you watching the four and a half hours of pregame before the Super Bowl anyway? And so a whole lot of people thought that um, thought that uh, thought that it was a real stain. And as a matter of fact, uh, the stunt was close. To- I thought it was a real for a while. It was great. And again, talking about pickup and, and, and sharing, you know, it was so successful to, to, to your point, Sky, that it's going to be taught. Um, 600 news outlets picked up the story um, following the game. That particular one was successful. And uh, I'm embarrassed here now. I was so excited over these, this Tide commercial um, that it, it short-circuited me listening to you. But you said the 2017 um, Super Bowl the one that really blew my mind was this last year's again tied, just killing it in the Super Bowl. The 2018 tied Super Bowl commercials. Go Google those. Anybody who hasn't seen them, they're amazing. They turned every commercial into a tied commercial right. and just owned not just their own commercial spot, but everyone. So sorry, back to the the, the one you're talking about. Also brilliant, but I think they they even right. improved their game. But again, as we go through, you know, from a from an advertising research foundation standpoint and, and, and for the point of the podcast, you know, what these all have in common 
you know, which we've talked about is finding some, some consumer truth, some insight in doing the research to, to, to really understand who your target audience is, um, some insight, some, some truth that pervades that target audience, find a way to have product relevance to that, that truth. So again, going back to the Bradshaw stain, Right. The the, the stain went to work, um, you know, for Campbell's soup uh, because there's no relevance to a stain and soup necessarily unless to cause a stain. But that's a different thing. And then um, find a, you know, a a creative outlet. You know, one of the things that we have studied um, at the ARF is, you know, which components of messaging um, have the most impact on success. And although it's the most difficult to measure, uh, we tend to focus on measuring the things that are easiest to count. Creative is a hard thing to count. Uh, but Nielsen did a study um, not too long ago and, and um, found that about 62% of the effectiveness of any piece of advertising communication is based on creative excellence. Interesting. Yeah, that makes total sense because you're eliciting and you're impacting the emotion. And like we've been talking about, emotion right. causes people to act, right? And in this case, in advertising, you want them to right. act and you want them to buy. That is a really good statistic. So can I just recap here on the formula? Because I know our listeners will be making notes on this, but it seems like the formula is, and we have B2B companies, so maybe we can go over a couple of B2B campaigns that I saw that do this really well. But you said there has to be some insight into the consumer truth and finding what is relevant relevant. And having that creativity within this campaign that creates the emotion in order to get the engagement. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's correct. Because because while rational uh, product differentiation is is important as people get down the purchase funnel and and are making a decision uh, from a social media standpoint, it's not things that it's not something that people are going to share about. Right. So I'm going to share about things that make an emotional connection. Going back to the Jeep example that you gave at the beginning, I'm going to share about the fact that that there's a, either this event coming up or I participated in this event. I'm not necessarily going to tell you that I have 24 inch aluminum rim wheels. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And then I guess sticking on the I hate to stick to the consumer products, but it's really easy to give give examples this way. On the Tide aspect, if you wanted to sponsor an event um, for something like that, maybe you'd sponsor a mud run uh, or something because then you can directly, you know, everybody has, I've done those before, everybody's just filthy afterward. Half the people are throwing their shoes away and and, and whatnot. So I guess finding that, even if it's a distant linkage to your product, um, so for B2B products to what are the people that you're trying to target with your product doing? What kind of people are they? How can you relate to them somehow uh, is, is the key. And then not all B2B products can afford a Super Bowl ad. Right. So to bring this around to them, I think, I guess that's where social media comes in because anybody can afford a social media ad. Right. And, and, and that's the whole point here is that, is that um, a lot of times because some social media ads are so affordable, uh, people's approach to it is, well, you know, let's just throw up anything against the wall and whatever sticks will repeat. And so they're not going through the rigorous research 
to sort of understand their target audience, find that insight and find that emotional relevance um, that they would do if they were investing all the money that they would to um, to to do a Super Bowl ad. But it is that same discipline that's going to be a key to success. And let me give you a B2B example. Um, I'm, I'm a cyclist or an amateur cyclist. Um, and um, there was just an interesting article about all of the technology um, that's now available when you ride your bike and and, you know, you have GPS reporting of what you did and it tracks what you do and it gives you these little uh, trophies if you if you do a little segment of the ride and all that sort of stuff. And there, there was a very funny article um, in Bicycling Magazine where somebody just did this terrific ride. Um, but on his little on his bicycle computer, he forgot to hit save at the end of the ride. And so. So the ride was lost and he wasn't able to get his little kudos. He wasn't able to share the ride with his friends. And it was like almost did my 50 mile ride even happen if I wasn't able to share it. Um, but to your point, there's a lot of B2B marketers that are all about data. And so, I mean, again, you could make a connection as simply as, you know, tracking the data of your run or tracking your data of a cycling ride or or getting involved in a local cycling event and connecting that emotionally back to to data and your B2B experience. Right. I think I can make a direct connection to almost the exact same thing. We have uh, something we say in our company here is that if you didn't record it in the CRM, it didn't happen. And I can see an instance where somebody puts a lot of information into the CRM and then doesn't click save. Right. And maybe one CRM lets you do that and another doesn't. Um, and that would be devastating to lose a, a day's worth or an hour's worth or even one entry into the CRM as opposed to maybe, you know, one that auto saves your information so that you don't lose that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It really goes along with the old adage. If it isn't written, it isn't true. It's almost like what we're talking about now. If it isn't shared, you don't have social, right. social proof, right? Right. And I know some people feel that way about their lunch if they don't take a picture and put it on social media. Did it happen? You know, I have a couple of great B2B success stories. I was looking up uh, of what they're doing on this engagement thing that I think our listeners will really love. Um, General Electric. General Electric has been dubbed the most exciting, boring brand due to their social media efforts. That's an awesome title, the most exciting, boring brand. Yeah, so what they've basically done is they have a forum for technology lovers, which we're in a technology age, right? Um, And it is meant to get people engaging where you have forward-thinking individuals that can start or join the conversation around anything technological, energy, health, transportation, infrastructure, as well as GE and its products. But, you know, they have, if you look this up online, you have some of the, like, these guys are really into it. Some of them are really geeky, but they have, like, uh, lots of commentary of people back and forth talking about technology and um, what it can do and certain products. And some of it's not even about GE, but it really makes the brand more uh, in the forefront of the mind. I like to think That's a great, if you're joining a yeah. community and, and the people in the community aren't geeked out about it, then it's not even really a community. So that the fact that they get geeky is really good. Yeah. 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 No, another example would be IBM has virtually branded artificial intelligence and Watson as, as something they, 
they 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 own. Um, and again, um, you know, if you look at their advertising and their sharing and their social media, I mean, they're humanizing artificial intelligence and um, you know having you know real world examples that that we can all understand and relate to. And and if you turn back the clock. Uh, and think about, you know, where we all first heard about Watson and artificial intelligence. It was because IBM became a contestant with Watson on Jeopardy. Interesting. Oh, that is fascinating. Well, that was definitely um, engagement back in the day, wasn't it? Yeah. And I guess, uh, I yeah. mean, your Jeopardy is a consumer facing product, but all, con- you know, all people in, in, in business are also consumers. So it isn't like you have to find a channel where... It's specifically B2B to get business people. It's just where where are they? If if your B2B product targets people who happen to be parents or happen to be, you know, watching certain types of shows, whatever it is, then it's still an area that I suppose you can either create a community or sponsor a community or join a community or, or whatever it is. I mean, IBM didn't create Jeopardy. They just, you know, got themselves in there. Right. Well, let me give you an, an, another example that's kind of a different kind of B2B because it's not business B2B. Uh, but if you look at pharmaceutical marketing, um, f- most of pharmaceutical marketing for the history of pharmaceutical marketing uh, here in the United States has been from the uh, drug manufacturers to healthcare professionals. And it's been, you know, it's very straightforward. It's about the science. It's about the patient's outcomes. It's about, um, it's about um, compliance and getting patients to stay on the, the regimen and when to prescribe it and all that sort of stuff. Um, what's happened in the United States with healthcare and things like that, our consumers are getting more and more involved and engaged in the path to purchase. And, 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 and pharmaceutical manufacturers are now having to, you see more D2C uh, uh, ads, you know, even despite the fact that you have this long litany of all the things that you shouldn't do. And then, you know, the interesting thing, when you look at a, a pharmaceutical product that's advertised on TV, it's pretty much the only product that's advertised on TV that you can't go buy. Even if, even if you see it, you still have to go to a doctor, um, and get it and, and, and get it prescribed. So again, you know, we're talking about finding ways to make the connection, um, and, and for the pharmaceutical manufacturers having to step outside of their comfort zone, um, and moving beyond just a rational explanation to a healthcare professional in a B2B environment and bringing in that emotional and consumer, um, connection. And, and we recently did an event at the ARF, um, to the pharma community, to your point, which is patients are people too. That that other things are going on in people's lives, be it besides whatever their disease or condition is, and and you can't just talk to them about this one condition. You need to consider um, the the whole of their lives. Right. So I want to get to some. Uh, I want to change gears a little bit here and jump to some actual act. I'm not even going to be able to say the word right. Maybe I shouldn't jump to it. Actionable insights uh, for this kind of marketing, for using social media to grow grow communities and market these, I guess I'd say, difficult to target products. Uh, obviously, people need some sort of social media preven- preference or presence. Ooh, I'm going to have to hand it over to you, Carla Joe. I don't know if I can talk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, they need a presence. And I was thinking there's, there's kind of two ways um, that we look at this here 
at Mountaintop Data, when we're building a presence, we either want to create a community on social, join a community, or sponsor a community. Um, what would you recommend when people have, again, these difficult-to-market products um, as far as an approach for either increasing their social media or building social media to, to address that issue? Well, again, uh, you know, again, it's going back to the basics. So the first thing is kind of understanding your target audience um, and, and, you know, kind of who they are and, and what kinds of things that connect them in addition to use of your product or use of your product category. And, and then to some degree, if you want to either, you know, get them to be engaged with you at a community level or, or get them to, um, be engaged with you on a sharing level, you're going to have to, you're going to have to find some sort of emotional connection that goes beyond the rational benefits of your product. And so let's use this podcast as an example, right? The people that are listening to this podcast um, are more interested in getting uh, information on, on marketing and B2B marketing um, and actionable insights than not to take anything away from mountaintop data, but, but, you know, what makes mountaintop data functionally different from its competitors. And so the engagement is over the quest for knowledge and the emotional engagement about knowledge, as opposed to, you know, the specific um, product benefits of you versus your competition. Right. And yeah, no, no slight on us. I've said many times it's a, it's a boring product and that's why we do need to, you know, market to people in this exact way. Um, so really, we're looking to understand the target audience, then find a connection, maybe like a two degrees of separation connection, so you can make that that last degree jump from that that connection to your product. Then, and then I think on the B two B side, different from the consumer side, is you do have to have some uh, thought to um, call to action or a place to go or something to find out about it. I mean, when we gave the Tide and Kraft macaroni and cheese examples, uh, neither P&G or Kraft uh, needed to tell you where you needed to go to go get the product um, if they were successful. Uh, but on the B2B side, you are at the end of, of that connection uh, going to have to give somebody a link, a website, uh, a place to go, uh, some way to connect to the brand uh, because it's, it's, it, you, know, you have a different distribution channel. Right. Almost everybody goes to the market. So as long as you build your brand, they can pick up macaroni and cheese. But for most B2B products, you're not getting them off a shelf somewhere. They're not going to end up in front of your product naturally. You got to get them there with that call to action. So I guess just general brand building with this type of a community, um, this type of uh, more aggressive social media marketing or more active social media marketing isn't, for, for B2B, it's not quite enough for most companies, at least just to uh, use this as a way to, you know, get people to recognize your brand and know it's out there. You really need that that last step of call to action somehow built in, even if it's just. I mean, when you're doing this online social media, a link is easy enough um, once once you've captured people's people's interest. But so I'm seeing understand the target, find the connection, and that the creative that we talked about earlier is so important to have somebody with a good idea on on how to make this happen. There's so many ways you can go wrong. Only a couple you can go right when it comes to uh, creative idea for that, for that campaign concept, and then putting a call to action in there. 
Right. And, you know, there are social media marketing experts for um, B2B, and there are algorithms on every platform uh, for every industry. And there's certain uh, ways that you post that actually contribute to getting the best ranking and also the best engagement. So, you know, there's formulas of, you know, what to post, when to post, and, you know, when to post the call to actions. You don't always have to have a call to action, but it needs to be in that formula. Um, And so there's a bunch of technology surrounding that, and there's ways to target your audience on social media to advertise to them, to get them to like your page, and then, you know, create that engagement. So, you know, I think the call to action for B2B companies today is to learn that because getting the engagement is what is getting people to have that emotional connection with your brand that then leads to sales ultimately. That's a very good point, Carla, is really kind of understanding the platforms as well. So, uh, for example, with LinkedIn, uh, part of the LinkedIn algorithm um, is how often you post. So if you're a B2B um, person and you have one brilliant idea and you post it once, um, you're not necessarily going to get into everyone's newsfeed. Um, there needs to be some frequency regularity with your posting exactly. um, if you want to maximize uh, being present in LinkedIn news feeds. And is this something that the ARF can help organizations if they become members? Because, you know, as we've been seeing just in our firm and um, with the companies that we deal with, I mean, years ago, I mean, you could just post anything, right? Well, now the algorithms have changed because they've collected so much data. It's the biggest data. It's the biggest big data there is. And the algorithms for each platform dictate basically the best practices to really get the engagement that you need. And companies don't know this. And they need to not only learn this and study this, they need to hire experts that do know this and be able to ask questions to those experts to see if they do know it. So that brings me back to my question. Does the ARF... um, also do research on this that's available to people if they wanted to buy it or become members and get access to it? No, I, and thank you very much for bringing that up. So again, we're, we're, we don't compete with um, agencies and companies that are going to help you have a better social marketing campaign. Um, but what we do do is um, we, do look at the, we do look at the information on, on what types of things to measure and what ties best to attribution and sales. And the events and communities around our members, as I said, bring people from all these constituencies across each other. So it's not just the content that we produce that's going to give you um, case studies and and some best practice examples and and some guidance on on what to measure and track. Uh, But if you're involved in the ARF communities, um, then you have the opportunity to interact with each other um, on a face-to-face basis, which is... We're getting to be a lost art these days. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting that that probably the best way to advance your best practices in social marketing is to talk face to face to the people who are successful in social marketing. Yes, I agree. Well, I think it would behoove organizations to um, find out information and learn from things that the ARF has to become better practitioners 
um, CMOs and social media marketing experts and agencies, because it sounds like the data that you have is very enlightening that could really help these professionals, you know, go to the next level in their B2B companies. Very much so. Mark, a quick question for you. Percentage-wise, just off the top of your head, it seems like there's kind of two distinct types of marketing here. You have the directly marketing your product and its features and benefits. And then there's what we've been talking about this episode, you know, creating a, a connection to something that's not exactly your product. Um, any general idea for these kind of products, what percentage of their marketing budget they might want to spend on one versus the other, just if we're thinking about social media. Um, so instead of all having social media stuff directly about the product, you know, building or joining some sort of community, um, any uh, any quick thoughts on the break percentage breakdown they might want to go with there? Um, it, it's going to be hard for me to put a stake in the ground uh, on this, um, um, but I'm not going to completely duck the question because obviously it's going to vary by industry category, competitive audience, all those all those types of things. But um, going back to to what the premise is, is sometimes because the investment in actually the purchase of social media or the placement of so, social media is is less than some of the paid alternatives, um, the rigor in the research to understand your target audience and understand um, you know what's important to them and what's relevant in their and all of that research sometimes. Um, get short um, shifted because there isn't as much investment in the social media purchase itself. So from an advertising research foundation thing, what we, what we will tell you is don't short shift um, the understanding of your target audience, the understanding of your competitive framework and who to target to and, and, and what the rational and emotional connections to your category are of that target audience are. Um, that's not the, the right place to save money. So you're saying people, because it doesn't cost as much as a Super Bowl ad, they won't spend as much time and energy getting it right. And thus, it, it just won't be as successful. And exactly. And the examples that we're using with, uh, that we used on the consumer side, and I'm sure that, that Carla brought up with Jeep, um, you know, it looks like, it looked like, it looked like, um, you know, Kraft found this book about swearing and said, hey, that's a good idea. And they threw up, they threw up a, a video in a minute and a half and it ended up being very popular and they got lucky. That's not the case at all. Um, you know, they, they saw the research. They, they then did research on whether parents uh, swore in front of their kids. Uh, they connected that research to their product. They understood their product and how people felt about their product. So there was a whole lot of stuff that went behind the scenes. It wasn't just, oh, here's a good idea. Let's do a film, throw it up on the internet, and see if it gets shared. Right. It takes a lot of hard work to get lucky. Yes. Okay. Excellent. I think uh, we are out of time here. I want to um, thank Mark Rappin for coming on and the Advertising Research Foundation. You can find their website at uh, the arf.org if you find yourself at a dog grooming site just make sure you add the the in front of arf and uh, and you'll be back in the right place um check out their original research content as well as their events webcasts under their i think events tab on that site mark anything else you want me to throw out there here at the end no thank you very much guy you kind of did our little ad for us and we appreciate it 
Excellent. I think uh, if you're looking for Mark, you can find him on, on LinkedIn, I'm sure, the same way you find anybody. Just add his name in, and uh, and he should come up pretty quick and easy there. And it's Mark Rappin with the C, M-A-R-C. With a C and two Ps for Rappin. And then um, check the show notes if you if you need to look that up on this uh, on this episode, the ifyoumarket.com for the show notes here. And we'll have more information on Mark and uh, on, on this episode. I want to thank you all for listening and uh, please share us on social media, tell a friend, uh, give us good reviews on iTunes. Um, please do share us on behalf of Carla Joe Helms and the If You Market team and Mark Rappin of the Advertising Research Foundation. Keep in mind, if you build it, you'll go out of business, but if you market, they will come. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.